You're listening to the Irish Times. It's April time, so welcome to the club GA season, everybody. Yep. GA's master plan is in effect, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. We have the hurling uh, final. The weather has pushed the hurling final onto this Sunday. But there's an interesting piece in this morning's Irish Times by Eamon Donoghue. Eamon rang around all the uh, different counties uh, and asked them how they were using April. You know, the idea was that April was going to be a club month. And I don't know about you, but when I heard that April was going to be a club month when this came out in Congress last year, I totally presumed that meant club championship. Mm. I absolutely presumed that on a certain level, there would be, every county would play at least a county championship game somewhere along the way in April. You, you presume that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think everybody assumed it. I think the goalposts, though, seem to have been moved on this. There's, uh, Eamon has a quote in his piece from Fergal McGill saying, this is a learning process. Uh, all we could do initially was create this space. I don't expect counties to maximise the use of April straight away, which... Everybody thought that this meant championship and now he's kind of saying oh it's going to be a month for club activity has been the phrase. Well yeah he also Bake sales maybe. I don't know Uh, yeah and look so so the way Eamon has worked it out is that there's going to be 25 club championships between football and hurling with not a club championship game played in April. Now counties will use it for different things you know in Kerry they're going to play their divisional championship um, and so on but like the whole all across the north. There's a great map in the Irish Times this morning. Uh, all across the north, from say north of uh, of Meath, mm. there isn't a club championship game going to be played. In Just the whole red of the numbers months. all the way zeros. And so here we are, and it, like after Sunday, uh, after Tip play uh, Kilkenny in the league hurling final, there is no intercounty activity uh, until the 13th of May. Mm-hmm. The, well, I tell a lie. The New York game uh, in the Connacht Football Championship is on the sixth of May. But there is so literally we have we have five weeks now, and there is there's all these counties with no club championship being played. I think it's I, I like I take it if that if the GA say and Fergal said it in the paper, our aim was never that this would be a club championship month, but one with heavy club activity. You know, I I take them at their word, but I totally presumed that there's going to be a heap of club championships being played now yeah. and there aren't no not at all <laughs> less than half of the counties are using April for club championship we fixtures. actually we had J- Jackie Tyrrell and, and Ian O'Reardon are here they're in, in to talk about the uh, hurling final in a couple of minutes but Jackie you're, you're a club player now obviously and you, you were telling us that uh, you know the Kilkenny club championship now is actually completely different to what it was like last year yeah, Maliki, um, the, the last year's format was that you played um, two two games in between the league and the start of the championship. Uh, you played one, then possibly throw a Leinster campaign, maybe after Leinster champ- Leinster final if Kilkenny got to it. And then you would play a fourth, um, maybe between an All-Ireland semi-final and a final. Um, that sometimes went, but more than often than not, it was played. So you definitely got three and maybe four. So that was that was very, it was a great system. So you and Noan going back training in January or February, that you had three, maybe four games between now and possibly August, September. Um, you go for, to this year now where we have one game next weekend after the league final and then you won't have Anton until Kenny finish the, the championship which potentially could be Anton between 15 and 19 weeks coming from next weekend. So it's actually made it worse. Yeah, it has, yeah. So like from January to, to August we'll have possibly one, one game whereas last year we would have had four games. So 
It's 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 now I know they've been unlucky with the weather and all they that, have. and Kilkenny making the uh, making the final. But yeah. what, just as a matter of interest, what are you going to be doing for the next five weeks? It's 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 a, it's a very interesting question. I was only talking to the management, and they don't know whether to give us the month of May off, to to give us six weeks in, in, into June as well. Um, he did say provisionally to book holidays in May and things like that. But I think club managers are probably nervous not to give too, ma- too much time off to club players, particularly in the height of the summer when things are going on and lads can go off. So they don't know. It's it's literally like the Championship this year. It's trial and error. Um, it's, it, 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 it used to be that you'd almost have to peak twice. I don't even think you need to peak now with one game. Like, you know, you're going to be backloading the, the end of the year with possibly uh, another three league games. Then you're probably into Championship and things like that. So it's it's one game for probably nine months of the year so how you manage that that one game isn't a knockout game is it's it? not even a knockout game it's a league game now so and even we had two games provisionally punched in for, for April uh, the first one again Dixborough second one again Mullivat the Dixborough one has just just gone completely so for two or three two or three months we were gearing towards playing Dixborough and that game is gone now so it's it's just totally up in the air it's, it's a com- complete mess uh, there was potentially f- football uh, meant to be played in, in April in Kilkenny as well that's gone by the wayside and all so it's it's that 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 picture of the, of the map. It paints a sorry picture for the GA club player at the minute. I think another point as well, Malik, is worth mentioning. But put, put, put everyone's interest at heart here, including my own, is they're surrendering that, whole, that huge window to um, to rugby, which you know we're going to have a lot of European Cup matches on over the next over the next few weeks, and then whatever soccer season, you know, you have to the, the, the climax of the Champions League and all of that. Like, so I just think, you know, for the GA to be to be seriously progressive as, as an association they need, to, they need to look at that again and say you know is this, is this in the best interest of the association if it's not having the impact on the clubs and it's clearly not and then they're surrendering that valuable window as I say to other sports you know what is it six seven weeks without an intercounty game or of any, of any significance is, is I think it could be quite damaging to the GA and especially the fact we've just had probably the most crazy condensed league uh, on record so look it is it, it's, it's, it's there for all to see now but I mean there is still time it's, it was only a three year experiment so we'll give them mm. the, the benefit of the doubt here and say they and I guess when it is trial and error, we are going to have to expect errors like this. You know, yes, this, and it's pretty glaring at the start. Yeah, state, so. it, it just. Uh, but the people should check out the the map in the Times today. It, it's actually it's kind of bracing when you look at it. Um, but listen, anyway, that's en- enough about that. The hurling final is on this weekend, and it's, it's like it's such a, a mouth watering one. Um, it's funny for as you say, Ian, for all the madness of the league and and the condensed league and and all the new teams and all the promise that we have for the championship to come uh, that was totally wetted by the uh, semi-finals last week. Um, Kilkenny and Tip are still the ones still standing when we get to the final. Yeah, I mean, you could argue, are they the two best teams in the league? You might have said Wexford for a while was setting the pace, certainly. Clare were unbeaten the first couple of games. Limerick were ripping up Division 2, and yet here we are, you know, um, um, Tip, Tip Kilkenny. But certainly the best teams at the moment. I mean, I was at the Wexford-Kilkenny uh, game last Sunday, and, I mean, Kilkenny were right back. It was It was... What's that word they use? Vintage Kilkenny. I mean, they were they were all, they were dominating all over the field. They won by seven or eight points in the end and back in a league final. So they're certainly certainly there on merit. And Tipperary as well, who who have come at the right time. And I think the interesting thing about Tip this year was we were chatting to Brendan Maher during the week, and he was making the point about last year, like you go into a league as and Jackie probably knows this as, as defending all Ireland champions. And it's all about like you know you know back to backs and keep the pressure on and. And they possibly overtrained, like they probably they probably did too much, and um, that was hugely damaging. Whereas Kilkenny have always seemed to manage to time their runs correctly, and that that seems to be the case this year again, Jackie. Yeah, it does. Um, and 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 Brian is is very good at at doing that. And I do remember Tipperary last year in the first game of the league, they went up and played Dublin, and they were awesome. They had all new guys in. 
Um, and it just seemed like they ran out a bit of steam come the latter end of the league and then we know what happened with Galway and that. Um, but they probably played, they probably stuck to their team too much and probably didn't didn't play around with different guys and, 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 and this year they've tried an awful lot of guys they're over 30 on the amount of players that they've used. Um, so I think they might have learned from that last year whereas, whereas, and Brian is the same, they've used over 30 players as well. So, But to, to go back to that Wexford game, I was down at last week and the pleasing thing for it was that ruthless streak that Kilkenny are starting to develop when they got that early goal Wexford Kilkenny responded with one eleven, like one eleven in a league game yeah. again a, a really well prepared Wexford team like Davy Fitz would have I know they were off the boil Wexford but to score to go on a run of one eleven shows that there's a nice ruthless streak that when Kilkenny are on top and they had two very good goal chances on top of that so yeah. that could easily been 3-11 um, so they're doing a lot things are starting to, to come right for Kilkenny and to, to, to win five games on the bounce just shows there's confidence building there and the style of it as well I mean Brian Cody like he's notoriously <laughs> you know just, he just doesn't admit to any sort of change but I mean it's obvious like I mean especially the way they're working the ball out of defence and just the way they're holding on to possession that, that's a new tactic as well which I mean you said I think you said in your article today like you were almost laughing at the way they, they played the ball in defence because it's, it's so different to the old days yeah it is and, and look Brian's paramount things are your work rate your attitude your application you bring that 100% every time but there is tweaks all over the place the shape the designs you know I, I talk about a, a score that they got in, in the game where the ball was played six passes until there was a score got by Mossy Keown at the other end in the second half um, and I think Brian has looked and the manager team have sat back and looked at what happened last year and you know when we went down to Wexford Park last year in the first round we almost just stumbled up to it we didn't really know who our sweeper was our puck out strategy was a bit all over the place we'd no real direction or, or platform you know, last Sunday there was a clear direction of how they played the ball, uh, what they did. Killian Buckley was a sweeper and how they used it. There was Killian Buckley actually the last day. After 25 minutes, he got a, he picked up a loose ball out of defence and slung it over the bar. And I'm pretty certain it was the first ball he hit over head height in the whole match. He he kind of he acts as the fulcrum of this new system, doesn't he? He kind of dictates uh, how a lot of the game is played now. Yeah, he's very important with. TJ at one end is crucial, obviously the scores and the free take, but Killing is equally as, as important at the other end. His positioning, um, the way he uses the ball, his his short to medium range passing is excellent. And he always does the right thing the ball, whether it's a hand pass, whether it's to turn around and go back to your goalie or your fullback, you know, he, he's very intelligent and he knows the importance of getting a platform and a platform is on his own 65 to midfield where he can stand look up and put a ball into space take a sweeper out or an extra or an extra defender and if you have to play those little triangles with a wing back with a midfielder to get that platform to midfield he's very comfortable at doing that and so are all the other guys and we've seen that so many times he getting the ball he might shift to his left or his right he'd be looking up the field where's the space where's the opportunity here to attack and uh, he's very very good at I, I spoke about in my column that he plays that role with his club Dick Spur they won the county final last year and he did that excellently with it so he's very excited experienced at it and he knows exactly what to do with the ball and, and his usage is excellent Owen Murphy too actually you know Owen, I don't know if people know like he was a fantastic outfield player I remember him in Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbon yeah, absolutely murdering teams and, yeah. and was a free taker and all that sort of stuff like he must be delighted to have a bit more imagination or not even imagination but a bit more involvement bit more variety in, in what he's doing back there. Yeah, and I, I stood behind him in the first half and as soon as the ball went wide, score, whatever, even when they got the penalty, two seconds later, he was standing there looking with the ball in his hand, 
where where am I going to spray this ball? And he just seems to have that freedom that Anton is on, a sharp puck out. He even did one, it didn't get it back off Porrick in the second half. He gave it to Porrick, he looked for uh, looked for back off again, he didn't get him. So there is a confidence, there is there is a freedom within this team to do whatever they see in front of him. And Brian has said in his in, in his in his in his match afterwards that, you know, the responsibility goes on the players and things like that, but it's like they've given him more information, more tools to go do that. Um, and you could see that all over the field yesterday and Owen Murphy's or, or on, on last weekend and Owen Murphy's a perfect example of it and just give us a wee flavour of how that might have changed from your day well I suppose I, when we got the ball um, you know it was just lump it down as far as possible down the field if, hit it as high and as, as long away from us as possible and I remember Richie Hogan always saying in one of the years that he noticed that when he was marking Noel Connors in the Waterford game, that Richie would make a, a run out the field when we say a cornerback will get it, and that Noel Connors have no interest in tracking him, that his immediate concern was turn because we'd become predictable of hitting the high ball down onto the full forward. But, you know, we had some unbelievable ball winners yeah. who, who were able to win ball 2-1-1. Um, we might not, mightn't have that... that, that um, amount of ball winners now so we have to be a little bit different and we have to give the advantage to our forwards and even the role of Ger Elward and Walter Welch Walter Welch was very deep last week and he was up and down that wing Ger Elward how far we've seen him out in the half hour line as well so there's a lot of small little changes and tweaks that people probably still haven't latched onto um, but the big one is how to use the ball out, out, out of defence and given the opportunity of the forwards a ball bounce in front of them that they can latch onto it I'm, I remember when Manchester United used to have difficulties in Europe and Ferguson wanted to change how they played. He appointed Carlos Quiroz at some point to get them to play a better possession type game. Like, it feels like Cody should have appointed Carlos Quiroz or somebody this year, but he hasn't. He, this, so this change is obviously coming from him. Like, yeah. it's a sea change for his mentality. Yeah, it? it would be. And it'd be the management sitting down and, and talking. And Michael Dempsey would be very involved. And he's a football background, so he would be very up to speed on tactics and shapes and positions and how we move the ball and things like that. So I'd, I'd imagine they probably would have a couple of discussions and looked at it said, look, the way the, the game is gone, we're going to come up against sweepers this year. We're going to go up against teams that'll have seven backs. We have to be equipped to be able to take that on. Obviously, they'll want to play 15 on 15 and you will have that the weekend with Tipperary. But if they come up with situations of Watford, Wexford or sweepers, that we need to work on this and be ready for it. And you, you can see they're up to speed very quickly on it, just just having an off-season of working on it. Just one other observation on that is is the type of players they have to do that now. I mean, because you know that takes a lot of energy to, to play that kind of game, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the old kind of sort of model Kilkenny player now you look at, look at Richie, Lahir, Richie Lahey at midfield he's very athletic um, Johnny Donnelly and you mentioned Mossy Cogan as well these, these are kind of they're much more kind of dynamic players so they're able to move around the field and, and hold on to possession as well so yeah I mean a sea change is probably the right way of putting it which makes which makes Sunday's games so interesting as well because you mentioned 15 and 15 there will be the kind of the classic format of game but I think I think in fairness to tip like they've um They've uncovered quite a good few new players as well. I mean, I think I think Ronan Maher at midfield has been a bit of a revelation for them this year. Um, they've got a few new forwards in there as well. And if you go back to them when they played a few weeks ago in the league and it was a classic sort of Kilkenny tip game, what was it, a one-point win in the end? 218-217. For Kilkenny, but... Uh, Tip didn't have Jason Ford. I don't think Pork Maher came on that day. Famously, they, they kept him in reserve. So it's 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 set up as a classic, a classic Tip Kilkenny final. And what have you made of Tip um, in like the? They have really chopped and changed through the league. Like they're they're well over thirty players, and maybe up to 34, 35 yeah. players that they've used through the league. They've certainly tried everybody that's worth trying, and you know that's without Jamie Callanan playing. I know Bubbles has come back and whatever, um, and yet I think we we get to the league final and we're what they they play Limerick on on twentieth of May. I'm not sure I could confidently predict more than eleven or twelve of who they'll start against Limerick. 
whatever yeah. about on Sunday, you know? Yeah, well, it's, I suppose that, that's a good position to be in, but you're right. I mean, they've used, they've certainly used, you know, three goalkeepers and midfield's been changing and, in fact, Jason Ford's been in and out and Kalan's come back and, and um, uh, Noel McGrath was missing a couple of days as well. But I, th- I still think the one thing, and I'm d- just because Brendan Maher was talking about it during this week, like just, just the attitude, they seems to be, like last year, they just seem to be totally, like, uh, just worn out. They just wore themselves out with, with the training. Like So th- I think that they're, they're definitely a fresh team. We saw it in the extra time against Limerick the, their last Saturday night. Like, they... They scored two odd goals in, in, in extra time. So I think they're playing fresh. They're playing, it's almost like the style they were playing back in, back in 2016 when, when everyone's on form. Um, but it's good. There'll, be a few, there'll be a few interesting matchups as well. But I mean, Jason Ford has been a revelation. I don't know what he scored, like five or six goals this 560 season. 560 to yeah. it, yeah. I mean, he's going um, to put that, that, that Kilkenny defence to, to the test as well. But yeah, I, I definitely think Tipper, did, they've done something different this year. It's, it's possibly just an attitude thing, a freshness thing. And, I mean, without going on about it, like, I mean, it's the hardest thing in training, and you, you think back to Kilkenny, you'd hear these stories about the, the savage training and, you know, you, you, keep, you, keep, you keep piling it on. But, like, sometimes the hardest thing to do is actually to back off a little bit, isn't mm-hmm. it? To, to, uh, just to, to kind of take your, take your foot off the accelerator a bit. And I think, I think Tip have done that a bit this year because Brendan was making the point last year they had 10 weeks in the league where like, they didn't miss a session at all. Okay. It was, like, Monday, Wednesday in the gym, Tuesday, Thursday... In the um, you know, on, on the field and games the weekends, and I remember you mentioned uh, Michael Dempsey there, the Kilkenny trainer, and he he seemed to have that uh, that that capacity to to recognise sometimes the less is more philosophy. Yeah, he did. He manages very well, and like our our sessions, like were pretty short, like an hour. Yeah. You'd be on the field, you'd be off. Yeah, to be hugely intensive, but you know he managed that workload very very well, and guys always seem to be fresh. And I think Brian learned that probably from in his early days. I remember two thousand four um, in the All Ireland against Cork. I know he gone through the back door that year, but you know we always we didn't seem as fresh as we could. And I think Mick came in the following year and, and managed the loads of the guys very very well. But going back to Tipperary, you have to remember like they've only. I, uh, John McGrath last week was their only we say marquee forward that they have like they were missing Seamus Cannon, Noel McGrath John O'Dwyer when he came on Dan McCormick Bonner Mar. they're probably four or five of them are going to start in the first round so Tip have done very well in this league Jason Ford is obviously the huge card for him um, to put a guy like that and you could see him and, and Seamus Cannon being the two up front with maybe a Bubbles or a John McGrath playing off them later on in the year Alan Flynn has been a huge success for McCormick back uh, but the thing for me with Tipperary I think Tipperary have looked teams that don't play a sweeper the likes of Kilkenny and Galway what they've done and people probably haven't copped onto it they've put a guy in midfield who's a natural defender Conor Foley did it for Kilkenny for years he's still doing it Johnny Cohn's doing it for Galway where a defender's natural instinct is not to go forward and just to give him that protection I think Tipperary are looking at that through a Cottle Barrett through Ronan Marr seeing the different things but I because I think that, you know, last year with Michael Breen and Brendan Maher, they were all gung-ho going forward. And I think that they're looking at that. Um, and I think it could be a very good move whether one of those goes because... That's interesting, Jackie. I have wondered what, what the Cahill Barrett thing has been about. And, and you reckon that that's the key? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think so. I think you look any team... Because he's such a gung-ho cornerback. You know, he's such yeah. an attack-the-ball cornerback. You look any team, if you have a sweeper, you have a natural extra defender there, you have cover. Okay, teams that don't play sweepers, Kilkenny, Galway, Tipperary. So what did they do? You know, when Brian put Conor Foley in 2014 to midfield, no one's seen that coming. And he's been a revelation. He just sits there, he protects the centre-back. If a wing-back goes forward, he slots in there and does it seamlessly. Galway did it with Johnny Cohn and that was a kind of a you know a left to centre move from to move there and it worked very well gives them that protection and I think Tipperary are looking at that and I think they've earmarked a few Rona Marcus Cottle Barrett to midfield as well when I looked at that first and it was only when I looked at it a few times looked a bit deeper I think that's what they're doing I think they're trying to give that defence just an extra because Parik Marr likes to roam around 
you know, he can go and he'll get on ball all day long. And I think that's what Tipper, and I think it'd be a very, very intelligent move if they put either, either one of those in there. Mm. And what sort of game are we expecting? And when we talk, we're talking all this sort of tactics and all this, mm. you know, the evolution of everybody. But this is Tipping Kilkenny, like. <laughs> they, they can't really fight their natural instinct. Yeah. They're, they're, it's it's going to be sort of 15 and 15 mm. and a few fellas dropping here and there, but like there's... There's not going to be extra men. There's not going to be spare men in, in each defence. No, it's going to be blood and thunder. It's it's. We were getting texts there as well that the, all the tickets are more or less sold out for the stand game. So it's 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 caught the imagination of Tiff and Kilkenny people. Um, there won't be huge lot of tactics. The only tactics I see will be half forwards dropping back. They'll go up and down the field just to give them a bit of, that bit of protection. But I don't I don't think Kilkenny and Tipperary know how to do tactics. I think they just size up each other and just say let's go at it for seventy minutes and see where it goes. Um, and I don't think. The weekend is going to be any different. There'll be like some of the matchups. You're looking at TJ Reid and Park Mara going at. You're looking at Jason Ford and Park Welsh going. It's it's going to be blood and thunder. It's going to be end to end. Probably high scoring again as well. Um, and that's the thing we love. This is the the, the rivalry that keeps on giving. Ian, I have a piece uh, in in tomorrow's paper about Tipperary. Tipperary's uh, record in these finals is, is abysmal. Like yeah. they've lost four in a row now since 2008. Three of them against Kilkenny, and then I mean last year was a kind of an outlier. A systems failure against Galway, but like they can't, they they'd want to switch that around sometime yeah. soon. They kind of good. This is nearly it's about as must win maybe as a league final mm. can kind of get. And know? especially Nolan Park, I don't think they've won a Nolan Park in I don't know eight years or something in a, in a, in a league match. Something. Brendan like, Maher has never won a Nolan. Yeah, Park. yeah, and he was saying that during the week. I mean, you know, we, you know, the classic. We, we ask Killian Buckley how many leagues he's like played three, won three. We ask Brendan Maher how many leagues played four, lost four. Like so, it's 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 clearly it's clearly that old that old cliche. Who wants it more? It's, it's got to be Tip, and um, it's tough going into Nolan Park. And, and as you mentioned, the crowd there, they're going to have a huge, they're going to have a huge imp- impact on the on the. Um, is the one ground where you really sense the crowd are, are, are mm. playing a part in the field especially that far stand where they really get involved and I think that's going to be that's going to be a huge advantage to Kilkenny but look I still think Tipper they're playing fresh um, they definitely want they haven't won a league since 2008 like most of, that, most of those players have no league so none of them do Jamie yeah. Callan is the only current player that, ha- that has one and he's not in the squad yeah, you know? so I mean, that, that says it all but I mean yeah. I just think you know Kilkenny the way they, the way they've timed that run, so it's 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 impossible to call. I mean, I remember was it the twenty fourteen league game where they scored five goals each, and it was like it was like it was like a classic gunfight. They were just shooting <laughs> yeah, each yeah, other yeah. until the last. But one even the final in twenty fourteen went to extra time, mm. like an incredible yeah, TJ, game mm. settled in the last last minute by TJ Reid and Richie Hogan. Hogan yeah, that sideline and that yeah, and we played another one. Um, went to extra time as well uh, with the time of the. He got a yellow card, he got sent off. In 09, yeah. Yeah, Martin yeah. Comfort came on, Declan Fanning gave him a dig, he dug him back and two and got yellow cards. They were both gone. Gorta like, was gone, he didn't yeah. get to hit the ball. <laughs> that was the day, the first time Park Maher arrived on the scene, Brendan Maher, all these guys. Um, Noel McGrath. Yeah, Noel McGrath. Noel was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That was the kind Noel of st- was 18 at the he time, was, scored, was, scored one five. I was marking <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Maliki. <laughs> but, um, Noel, you, you were young too, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. But that was the first time that they kind of, and they physically actually bullied us that day. Um, I remember Seamus Canlon hit Brian Hogan, dislocated his shoulder. And we just about got out in the end. I think Richie Hogan pulled us out of fire in, in extra time. So... They are so tight and I know we've had the upper hand but they've been so tight and there's been nothing between them. Um, and uh, it's probably a roles reverse maybe a little now this time if you look at we have young lads coming and mm. Tipper a little more established if you think back to those league finals. Um, so the shoe is kind of on the other foot but uh, 
Nolan Park is definitely an advantage for us being at home and things like that and that little bit of a hoodoo that we have over, over Tipperary um, but like, it's going to be Mount Water Could we have our first um, penalty shootout in the, in the league final because it's, it's down for decision this listen, weekend Listen, we better not because the Masters is on on Sunday night I am not sitting in bloody yes. Nolan Park till 9 o'clock at night what? waiting on these people to finish their bloody game If, there's a, if it goes to a penalty shootout there'll be a big blank space in the Irish Times on Monday morning and I'll have been gone so anyway listen lads thanks so much for coming in thanks for that and uh, we should we'll chat to you as the year goes on cheers thanks very much in the Irish Times weekend in her exclusive Hillary Clinton interview she discusses the backlash women face when challenging harassment the importance of protecting the Belfast agreement and why Brexit is a terrible idea in the magazine Conor Pope reveals the world's cheapest holidays and admire Ireland's most interesting homes in the spring issue of the Gloss Interiors the Irish Times weekend your weekends in good hands well as I made it very clear to the lads there Pat I know what I'm going to be watching for the weekend yes you and uh, everybody else the Masters is on this weekend and if you're one of those people who doesn't have Sky Sports, um, it becomes free to watch on Saturday and Sunday. You can watch it on Sky Sports Mix, which is um, free to air. Mm-hmm. Or where you should really be watching it is on BBC Two, which is which starts as the coverage starts at seven thirty on Saturday and six thirty on Sunday. Indeed, that's where we all grew up watching it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of any other way I'd like to watch it on a on a Sunday. Indeed. Uh, did you watch any of it last night? I did. Uh, I watched Sergio have his tin cup style meltdown. Yes, we won't be watching Sergio for the weekend, I would wager. Yeah. After his 13 on uh, the 15th hole. That's 13, 1 3, as uh, the Vidi printer used to say on uh, on BBC uh, Final Score. They would have spelt out the 13, T H I R T W E N, on one hole. Have you ever seen anybody do that, attempt to do that before? Literally, genuinely, only in the movie Tin Cup, where I was watching it as a golf fan going, Ugh, I was kind of with this movie up until he did that, because like no pro would ever do that. And I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Sergio Garcia, the defending champion, hit precisely the same shot, getting precisely the same result, uh, five times into the water. And he did do it with an element of bloody-mindedness, didn't he? Oh, totally. Well, and and I can half see it. Uh, like, he kept... The shot he kept hitting was a good shot. <laughs> you know, hit it 10 yards past... Or, no, it was about sort of 15 feet past the hole, spin it back to the hole. But, my Lord, after the third one goes in the water, uh, how the caddy doesn't stand in front of him and say, here, young fella, <laughs> uh, it's Thursday afternoon here. If you keep doing this, we're going home tomorrow evening. Or in fact, worse than that, we're not going home because you have to wait here until Sunday night to give whoever wins the green jacket. So you can't just hop on a plane and head back uh, to your family home on Friday night. Yeah. He has to hang around for the rest of the week. He has to live through the speeches. He has to do all of that. He has to do, he has to meet and greet. Like he, you have responsibilities as the, as the Masters defending champion. And for the cameras on Sunday night, whoever wins, he has to, he's the man who has to hand him the jacket. All he had, like, just hit one into the bank and let it roll up, take two putts and get out of there. Get out of there with a nine. A nine would have still been absolutely terrible and would have still been tough for him to make the cut. But, like, he was... He, but he ended up shooting an 80, I think. Hmm. Uh, so, like, he was one over for the rest of his round, other than that hole. He had a birdie in the next hole, actually. It was a brilliant birdie. In fairness to him, it was a brilliant birdie in the next hole. But, like... It went past the realm of being stupid to being 
hilarious yeah. by the end. It was like um, Sideshow like Bob walking into rakes <coughs> on The Simpsons. Indeed, yeah. It just con- it, it's, it stopped being funny for a while and then it started being funny again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my only worry with the weekend is that um, Jordan Spieth was superb yesterday. If he plays three more rounds like that, is he going to win by six shots? You get, kind of get that sense. Uh, like uh, this, you know, we're recording this on Friday morning. By the time people are listening to this, uh, you know, some of what we're talking about here will have been played out. Uh, there's every chance, like this happened a couple of years ago where Spieth went out, shot 66 the first day and 65 the next morning or maybe the other way around. So that, like, I remember at that point, I think he was 12 under, 11 or 12 under uh, when Rory McIlroy was starting his second round 10 shots back. So, like, if he does the same again this morning, um, then the players that are going out this evening or this afternoon are starting off 10 10 shots back. Mm. That's a long way to go. That's a long way to to kind of assume that he's going to come back to the field. Now, look, a couple of years ago, he, he he opened with a 66, had a four-shot lead going into the back nine and threw it all away on the 12th. So it ain't over till it's over and all of that. I think the one thing that I would I would say, this could be hostage to fortune, but um, that's McElroy's best ever start. Uh, yeah. Certainly since 2011, you know, um, he, if he gets... All, all worry. All, all I wanted for McElroy this week was for him to get himself into contention and not play himself out of it. And there was three occasions on the way home last night where he definitely could have played himself out of it. He went for a really stupid shot on the thirteenth and put it in the back bunker. Amazing up and down to get out of there with a birdie, but he held a couple of really important putts on the way in and he finished with a sixty nine. All he has to do is 69 again today. No matter what Spieth does, mm. if Rory is six under after today, then Spieth isn't going to run away with it, I don't think. Like, he'll be, he will be, McElroy will be lurking. He will en- enjoy the idea of of being there in the last couple of groups. Um, and there's a few fairly heavy hitters around. You know, Mickelson isn't far away. There's a few others that aren't too far away. Uh, Stenson's there. Stenson doesn't normally play overly well there, but he he's hung in there. Kuchar hung in there, um, and we're obviously never getting Colin Byrne into uh, the podcast again because he was not overly effusive about Rafa Cabrera's chances when he was in with us last week. Cabrera Bello was brilliant last night, going down the stretch. He he had ended up with a sixty nine. He was foot perfect on the way in. Maybe uh, he listened to the podcast and he's really trying to stick it to Colin. That could be it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe ah uh, yeah, and then he keep him keep him <laughs> keep him aside on Sunday night. Get his brother back on Sunday and say, "All right, screw you, Burn. Enough of you. Enjoy that bloody podcast. <laughs> it has ruined you for life." <laughs> but it's true at the moment. All the pieces in the chessboard of what we want uh, are there, as you say. Nobody's played themselves out of contention except for Sergio, and he did it in the most entertaining way possible. So yeah, and, and now in fairness, I, I say nobody's. A few have, like I think, you know, Dustin Johnson's probably too far back. Justin Thomas is probably too far back. The guys that were over par. I think of the last. I read last night of the last twelve. The last twelve Masters winners uh, were all in the top ten after the first day. Oh. So you know, if you're, and especially with Spieth as a front runner, like if it was Charlie Hoffman that was minus six and uh, and had spread eagle the field like he did in the first round last year, you kind of going, yeah, he'll come back to the pack. 
there, it is eminently possible that Speeds, even Speeds bogey on the last last night was a really clever bogey. The, the tee shot was idiotic, but he just picked and chose his way. Like he, his, his he three. He chipped out backwards, didn't he? He had to chip out yeah. absolutely backwards and, and like hit his third shot from the start of the fairway up the hill, had to hit a three wood, aimed at the crowd. He didn't even aim at the green. He aimed to hit it into the crowd so that he'd have an easy chip up and down and he nearly hold the chip. Like it was really clever, of course, management. And so that is the thing with him. He is, he knows his way around that course. So if it was almost anybody else, that had a two-shot lead after Thursday, you'd be kind of going, nah, they'll come back. There is a chance that he could be he could be five ahead on Sunday, you know? Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Indeed, yeah. But listen, I'll be watching one way or the other. But the other biggie uh, this weekend uh, is the Manchester Derby. It's on, uh, and um, City could wrap up the league ridiculously early. Ahead of it, Michael Walker has written a, a, a long profile uh, of Pep Guardiola in Saturday's paper. And Michael joins us on the line now. Michael, we tend to get caught up in the cult of the manager at the drop of a hat these days. And it doesn't matter really who it is, but we all, you know, kind of get mad into them and, and give them more credit than maybe they deserve. But I think that it's fair to say when we talk about Guardiola, like he inspires a special kind of fascination among people. I think I think that's correct. But I, and I think that's because of how he goes about what he does and the level of thought that he puts into it. Um, which you know, which is obvious from the way that um, you can see that Manchester City play today. He seems to be trying to do something that's different, and you know that idea of stretching the pitch, uh, that lengthwise and widthwise, and having a structure that you adhere to, and that your your belief is in that structure, and that your structure will beat the other team's structure, is. It's a, like it's it's quite a a bold way to look at the game itself, and it feels like he's just. I think the reason we're interested in him is because he's so interested in the game and how you go about the game. He isn't just going out to win the next ninety minutes. That to me is that you know I I think his I think his view of the game is bigger than the next ninety minutes. Although of course, um, he has said like all managers say they get their credibility from winning, and that is that is the case. In a way, however, there are certain managers whose style transcends that, that it isn't just purely about winning. And I I think that is the case with Guardiola. I, yeah, because you have a, a couple of interesting lines in here. And, and, and I like the you know, lovely line where you said that an engineer is po- possibly a more suitable analogy for Guardiola than an artist or than a scientist or anything like that. That, that engineer is, is nearly the, the, the word you'd put on him. Yeah, yeah, I think the way he, you know, that that the idea that he has um, that it's a numbers game, um, that you're that the opposition will only commit a certain number of players. If you have the ball, in, if Manchester City have the ball in their half with Ederson, at Ederson's feet, they will have six players alongside Ederson um, in various parts of their half. So that's seven players. The opposition to counteract that are very rarely going to put seven players in into the opposition half. So they'll maybe put five or six. So immediately you're one man up or two, man, two men up. And because he employs the goalkeeper as a footballer as opposed to someone with gloves, um, that, all, that just brings an automatic one-man advantage. And we've seen, I think, the... I think the, the 
introduction of Ederson into this team has been a development this season that has taken you know our sort of appreciation of Guardiola on again because other people haven't done that. You know, you can ask the question why, given the back pass rule changed twenty five years ago. Yeah. Why people didn't do that? Why people, you know, we had the idea of sweeper keepers a little bit in the 1990s, and there have been player, there have been goalkeepers who are good with their feet, but there hasn't been a goalkeeper who's been an active participant the way Ederson is. You're exactly right, Michael. Like you remember, remember the Ajax team in the 90s, and you'd hear this mythology come out that Van der Sar, you know, plays yeah. out, plays outfield in the five sides and all that sort of stuff. And yet, you, you're exactly right. It's taken until until now for you know a, a deliberate signing of a goalkeeper and more to the almost well certainly got more attention at the time a deliberate jettisoning of the the standing goalkeeper that they had for pre- precisely this purpose yes i, I was i was i was thinking i was reading about founder Shaw and i was sort of thinking is my memory just so bad that i can't remember him being this brilliant you know i remember him being competent with yeah. it but that's different from being a participant in the football match. Mm. Ederson, Ederson's pass to um, Leroy Sane at Everton last week, and, and then and then Sane produces a bit of magic, which is which is again we'll come to. That's that that's one of the caveats about Guardiola. But but the pass to Sane is is absolutely fantastic. You know, it could have been hit by Ronald Koeman. You know, it was that it was that precise. And so, there's that. Whenever the, you know the engineer analogy is about that precision, and it's about the fact that that is worked on, and that that's an idea, and we will have a system, and this is how we will play, and we will dominate you with our system, um, and our engine, if you know, so to speak. Yeah, and you're a fascinating uh, bit, uh, and no need for us to go through uh, everything in in the piece. It's a great piece in the paper tomorrow. But there's a fascinating bit that I didn't know that that during the World Cup uh, in Germany in 2006, Guardiola wrote a column for El País about the Mexican national team. He had spent some time in Mexico, and yeah. at the end of his playing career, and he was so impressed with. Mexico's daring play from the back and I'm going to read a little of what he said he said the Mexicans playing their defenders in this way know the risk they run lost possession from where they play the ball out from could be terrible but not only do they know that everyone knows that that's why everyone avoids doing the same as the Mexicans the world chooses one way the Mexicans another and like that's whatever that that's 12 years ago that's him as a nascent coach uh, at the end of his playing career clearly thinking about the game but I found that fascinating as, as that's there's as clear a building block as you can as you could find of the coach that he would become. That, well, that's what struck me whenever I read it. I was thinking, right? Oh, so this is so this is where it comes from. You know, this is at least in part this is where it comes from because he is so um, that um, the Marty Parana, the, um, the his biographer, uses that phrase about him as a as a player, as a sort of physically weak player, had to had to find another way to play and part of that was audacity and I think that is what he's like as a coach he has this um, audacity um, which is which you know you need you need to be very confident to be audacious so he is you know he has self-confidence um, and this audacity that he saw in this Mexico team the way they played and the, the fact that they were aware of the risks but still take the risks I think that's part of um what Guardiola does, you know, and I, I think that that's why, that's why it's really, 
it, he is fa- genuinely fascinating because when it works, it's fantastic. But whenever whenever it doesn't work, then these doubts and caveats immediately, you know, are immediately thrown at him. And um, you know, so it, it, it it's difficult. You know, he says that thing about um, Johan Cruyff created something new, and that's the hardest thing to do to create something new and get people to follow it. Um, and I think that's I think that's his achievement is that he has done something new. Michael, you mentioned about um, um, Leroy Sané's bit of magic against Everton. Is that um, where you're going to say about how Guardiola, even with his um, systems being in place, he still finds room to allow the players to express themselves? Um, no, I, I, the point about that, I think, is, is um, whether, whether, he could, whether this could be replicated. I think one of the, the biggest caveat of all with Guardiola is that he hasn't done this. He's done this at massive institutions. Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and the modern Manchester City, you know, which is, you know, uh, you know, which is, which is absolutely miles away from traditional Manchester City. If he was doing this at Manchester City, playing at Main Road in 1996, then it would be absolutely genuinely remarkable. And the 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 thing about it is, you know, if he was doing this at say Sheffield Wednesday now, if he was like reinventing a football club and playing this way, then that would be that would be more remarkable. But the question is, is would he play that way? And could he play that way? Because could the goalkeeper at Sheffield Wednesday hit a precise pass 50 yards? Could the, you know, Barry Bannon pick it up for Sheffield Wednesday and clip the ball over the top of a, you know, a defender and, and then play it perfectly to the striker? It's about, you know, so he has, you know, he has those resources, not just financial, but, um, in terms of the quality of the players, that's that's the point I'm making. There is that there, I, I agree that he, he does give freedom of expression. Once he gets to the end, or you know, when, once he gets into the final third, there is freedom of expression. But but the point about it, I, I think, is whether whether it can be replicated at a lower level, and whether he would want to do that. It's funny, Michael. Uh, you mentioned. Uh briefly there like we had this idea of of talking to you about this because this weekend is is possibly city's coronation as as premier league winners and if not this weekend almost certainly the following weekend um and yet wednesday night uh, against liverpool makes this an almost a, a more interesting conversation again because like i what i find really fascinating about him the other night and you mentioned it briefly in in your piece is that uh, there was none of the kind of manic gesturing on the sideline from from Guardiola the other night. His sort of, I don't know, restraint or, or God, bordering on disinterest on the sideline was ne- <laughs> was nearly replicated by by City's performance on the pitch. It was such a weird performance from him and from his team. I don't. I, I don't know. I think I, I feel a bit. Um, I, I think I've. As as, as um, Cruyff would say, were you watching a different match? That's what he might say to me. You know? um, I think I think there's been. Um, I don't think Manchester City were brilliant in the second half of the first half, but until the opening goal, Manchester City are the better team. Um, and I, I think the opening goal is so important in any football match, and the opening goal is offside. So I think there's. There is a tendency we all have to look at a scoreline and work backwards. And I, I, I actually think if that goal doesn't go in, the game becomes the game remains an interesting contest. The goal, co- the goal goes in, 
and then there's this ten minute collapse, and it's it's sort of um, you know it's it's just strange how a team that can look so assured can look so nervous, um, and again you're sort of you know like you you're stuck you know you're stuck by Guardiola not going you know, mad on the touchline or whatever. But he, then he had talked about, you know, calmness the day before in the, in the preview, I suppose. So maybe maybe there was an element of that, you know. I mean, even when they were 3-0 down, you know, they come out in the second half and they play essentially the same game. Now, part of the problem, I think, was that it was a bit one-dimensional because it was just, it was the same game. You know, they weren't going through the middle. They were still, they were still trying to hit diagonal passes to Leroy Sane and hit that and they hit loads but if Sane you know if there's a marginal offside decision that may you know that could easily have not been given and and Gabriel Jesus scores I just think that I think I know it's not a popular opinion but I think the game might have been closer than than we think and I think that's a reason why if if City are winning 1-0 at half time on Tuesday I don't see this as you know as an 80-20 game, you know, in, in Liverpool's favour. I think it's still 60-40 in Liverpool's favour, even though they're winning 3-0. Let's talk about more immediate. What about uh, the game this weekend against United? Where where on the scale of 60-40, 80-20 would you put that? Well, that that depends on what, what team he picks. And it also depends on Manchester United, you know, and whether they're, whether Mourinho thinks, you know, we're going to get a point and, and sets up to get a point or whether, whether Mourinho, you know, sees this at a moment where actually actually Manchester City and Guardiola might be a little bit vulnerable here. Um, and they will have, you know, the priority is Tuesday. So it, it is an opportunity for Manchester United, an opportunity for them to, to actually make some kind of little statement that gives them some pride back and save a little um, bit of face. Yeah, I think so. But but it, it is it, it's it's an unusual situation because the, the sort of the the drama of Wednesday means that you know Man City are going to win the league, you know, or possibly tomorrow. Guardiola is going to win his fourteenth major trophy in ten years, and and it feels a little bit clouded. Um, and that's part of I, I think that's part of the whole interesting thing about Guardiola is that you know the Bayern Munich experience where he doesn't win the Champions League is is there as well. You know if they do go out on Tuesday, then they'll have gone out to Monaco and Liverpool. You know and Liverpool are you know are good in moments, but they're not a great team. You know not, I don't think anybody's pretending Liverpool are a great team. Um, so it, it's. You know, it's not like they're going to be, you know, going out to Real Madrid, for example. Um, so it's it's um, it, it it is an unusual moment, I would say, for Guardiola. Yeah, and it's interesting. It will always be interesting in how we judge him because, you know, as you say, the the sort of the cloud is that he has never, and let's be fair, will never go to a Sheffield Wednesday or even a, let's say, even an Everton. You know, to to sort yeah. of take. Well, and and why would he? What human being would like? Who who loves the the idea of a challenge that much that they that they would <laughs> willfully hamstring themselves to try and play against Man City with with the resources that they're going to have at an Everton? Um, so it's a, he's an interesting figure in that regard. In that we will always wonder how to judge him 
uh, and yet all he can judge himself on is you know keep keeping winning these these leagues year after year after year dominating them having them won like I was even thinking on the way in here it's still bloody freezing outside and <laughs> and Guardiola has, is going to have the league wrapped up tomorrow you know it's it it, it is we can we can nitpick our way into kind of underselling what it is that he has done. Yeah, yeah, it, it is funny. I mean, you know, the the drama of one game is actually it just shows you what it can do. It's so immense what happened on Wednesday night. For you know, the criticism he's received in the last twenty four hours is greater than the criticism he received last season. You know, whenever Man City fell That's away. True, yeah. You know, it, it's like a, it's just there's just been a, a you know an avalanche of this criticism, and he you know he he may sort of step back and and then people because you know and wonder what's going on, but I think people are saying yeah you can't you're not doing it whenever it comes to the really really big games, you're not doing it. You haven't done it at Bayern Munich when you did it at Barcelona. You had Messi and Iniesta, you know. So you you just you know you 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 aren't doing it. However, that sort of takes away, I know he's made big changes defensively this season, but it takes away from the progress of the team from last season to this season and the style of game that they're playing. You know, they're playing, they're playing a different game altogether in terms of, of technique and quality from last season. You know, they've, they've reached a much higher level. Um, and that that has got a little bit lost. And I think the their sheer dominance this season always eats away at appreciation because, you know, people are, you know, the Premier League is a lot of teams that are now just, you know, who are just beaten by his reputation before he, before people walk on the pitch, you know, and um, and so they so they retreat. So, again, you don't get that kind of um, appreciation for, you know, the zest of what he's doing, but they need to have that. They need to win a really, really big game, and if they win, if they were to if they were to recover a three 0 deficit, then I think I think there would there will be a recalibration of appreciation. I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> well, that would certainly do it, all right. Uh, listen, Michael, thanks a million for that. Um, we'll certainly be watching uh, over the weekend and on uh, Tuesday night. Um, thanks very much to Michael. Thanks to Ian and Jackie who were here earlier talking hurling. Um, thanks to Pat and to Declan and to JJ on sound. Uh, thanks to everybody. Uh, if you want to write in, we're at addedtime at irishtimes.com. You can get me on Twitter at Maliki Clarkin. And if you don't want to talk to me, then you can listen to me again next week. Thanks very much, everyone. Good luck. Mm-hmm.